Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. Thank you this uh, morning, um, Sparky Johnson, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles and to talk um, about your group, the Risen Warrior Senior Advocacy, All Senior Lives Matter. And before we start, I'll get you just to take a moment to tell us about yourself and your group. Well, as you said, my name is Sparky Johnson. I'm a 57-year-old First Nation Ojibwe woman, and I have been a lifetime advocate for the sick, the suffering, the dying, uh, all issues pertaining to getting the truth out there, getting the light out there, advocating for the change, and being face front. I have a mantra that I use often where it's rise up, show up, speak up, stand up. The time to act is now. It's never too late to begin to stand for the truth and fight for the change. And without the change and without the advocacy, we will never be able to break the silence. And your group, uh, Risen Warrior Senior Advocacy, where did that, how did you come about creating that group? Over the years, I've noticed there's various groups. And it was following my aunt's death uh, from neglect and abuse a year ago tomorrow in long-term care that I felt that I needed to be doing more. And in the midst of COVID and the chaos and the lockdowns and the stay in, you can go out, was that I found that as a challenge and an obstacle to having to learn new ways to identify, to continue to stay in the truth and to continue to get it out there publicly. So I'm not overly tech. I'm more of what I call a trenches woman where, you know, put me in the hole and give me a shovel, give me a spoon. And, you know, I will seek and I will find what you've sent me to find. So utilizing the technology and the warrior aspect is in the peaceful. As a First Nations woman, the advocacy is in the lifelong calling that I've had to be in light and truth. And the crusade is about the ongoing mission and calling that I believe from the time of birth to the time that I die, I will always be in the light. I will always stand for truth. And I needed a way as a coping skill, as a tool, as a benefit to the advocacy to turn around and utilize a world of technology that has its pros and cons. It's all in how you use it to become what I call the drop zone for education, knowledge and awareness that can connect people across the globe on this planet with one another It can become a means and a way for support so that in the expression of saying you're not alone, even though I can't be there to physically take your hand or pass you the Kleenex, it's a way to reach out. It's a way to connect. It's a way to visually see people if they're comfortable with the Zoom and to be with them even in the barriers of the world as they create the diversity, they create the division, they create the separatism and they add to the chaos of the land. So the warrior advocacy of the all lives matter, it, it, I have to share this, it came in a dream and it was challenging because from the psychological mental aspect, it was not to take away from 
Black Lives Matter. So when I had the dream and it came so solid and so pure, I needed to discern where it was coming from. Was it coming from the light or coming from the dark? Was it to create chaos or was it to create calmness? And there was no way around it. It was a Sunday. It was a Saturday evening, three in the morning. And it was like, seriously, creator, you want me to go out there and say, all lives matter. All senior lives matter. Seriously? So I didn't have a choice from a spiritual point. I needed to say I need to go out and I need to follow the vision. And in that vision comes the seniors before profits. I mean, since then, it's expanded to people before profit. But I had to go through the learning experience and I needed to follow what creator had given me and through the discernment because it was creating the psychological aspect that I knew it was going to create the politics. It was going to create the division and it was going to negate the issue that was at hand was that people's people are dying so do we get caught up in the political words as humans or do we take the message and see the underlining goal that we're we're all fighting for is that all lives matter every single every single color race denomination sex creed age regardless and that that's just part of the division so i wrestled with it but like i said i i couldn't go against you know my faith and my foundation, my culture, by altering what I believe was the message given to me that since then has flourished. And it came in the masks of seniors before profit, as well as the all senior lives matter, going, okay, it gives option, it gives choice. And the advocacy is essential to what I call the umbilical cord of life. It gives offers the opportunity for people to connect with one another for us to speak with one another for the human nature of the empathy the integrity the conversations the powwows and i can say that as an indian so i i i will state certain things that will bring about yet again controversy in the world as to who's allowed to say it who's not well i tell everybody call me an indian you know what i'm not indigenous i'm not aboriginal i'm first nations indian well that can even bring division amongst my own people, not being politically correct. So absolutely. it's essential. It's absolutely essential. Yeah. No, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that uh, because that speaks to so much of what uh, your group is about. And I wanted to just now start talking about, I know you, your group has a number of initiatives on the go, such as the petition uh, to Parliament Hill, the, you know, the whole stop the genocide protest, um, and of course, calling for national standards within this country. So first of all, let's start, uh, let's talk with about in regards to the petition to the Parliament of Canada. You're looking for 500 signatures to be sent to, um, you know, to have the military brought back in um, into long-term care facilities. Can you speak to that? We're looking for immediacy. If our government is willing to publicly state that we're in a state of emergency, then we need to call for the action. And when the government is not providing the basic human rights by adhering to the laws and calling for the citizens of this country and globally everywhere, to be fighting for what is common sense. When we have 
constitutional laws, resident rights. We have laws that have been founded on each and every ground for a reason that are not being enforced. They are not being implemented. That is creating the work for us to remind them of what the laws are, where we're having to fight for what is already founded in our constitution and go public with it to say, hey, you know, we need immediacy. Do I think that calling the army in is the answer? Absolutely not. I think it's a band-aid to a temporary means and measure, but it is not addressing the decades of the issues that we have had going on for decades. That the army coming in, you know, I've had the experience, one of our protesters actually is uh, come out of retirement as a PSW. She, one of the homes, and I won't, won't out the home at this point, uh, they staffed people before they heard the army was coming in. And this particular protester was one of the staff that got hired. The day after the army left, everybody who had been brought in prior to the army coming in was let go of. So this is the truth that the media doesn't touch on. Um, you know, I believe that they too, sadly to say it, are sheep. They're told what they can and can't say. You know, it's about the ratings. It's also about if you follow the money, you follow the blood. So bringing the army in, I, I do believe temporary means and measures, if they're not willing to let the families in and under the Essential Caregiver Act that we're trying so hard to get passed, I say, does it make more sense to send military in or you or I as a family member that can sit with our loved ones, keep our eye on people who may not have anybody, be the voice of the people who could speak up and say, hey, Johnny just fell out of bed or, you know, I just saved Johnny from falling out of bed. I pulled his rail up. Somebody might want to check on him while I'm here visiting somebody else, a family member. So it's essential that we get these bills passed and that they not continue to be swept under the carpet it's i believe it's deliberate to keep them out you know not only are have they dismissed the family members the residents but now as they've dismissed the military the military came out with a i'm not sure midterm or midway reports suggestions recommendations none of them have been adhered to so now they're dismissing those that represent this country as a military. That is showing total disrespect, disregard, and no care or concern, which is not me being a conspiracy theorist. It is being factual to the history and the documentation that I can pull out whenever I'm questioned on any of my advocacy and what I do. It's not about following the press. It's about fighting for the change to save lives. No, I definitely agree on that one. And it's 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 very unfortunate that the military has not been called at all uh, in regards to this. And as well, so the next point is your stop the genocide protest. I know we're recording this on February the 28th. You had one yesterday on February the 27th. Can you just tell us as to why you decided to have the protest at physically at the locations of the long-term cares? There's some of us in society that I will call a minority that will not be dictated to. It's not about dismissing the virus. 
It's not about our personal beliefs as to whether we buy into it or not. It's about not being intimidated, harassed, or bullied by a government that is causing such chaos that physical requirement in showing up at these places is not just sitting back here saying, oh, well, you're not alone. I see you. I feel you. Let me blow you a kiss. I blow you a virtual hug. It's about physically being present to say, I mean what I say and I say what I mean. And when I say, I do not walk a life in fear, I will show up. Do I risk the chance of consequences? Absolutely. Do I risk the chance of a ticket? Absolutely. Been there, done that, got them, signed the back. Sadly, I, you know, it becomes a taxpayer's dollars. I go to court. I will not stand down. I will not be silenced and I will not be governed. Well, other groups are behind closed doors, which is fine. I'm 100% supportive, believing that it doesn't matter who's doing what, so long as people are doing something. So be it virtual, be it phone calls, be it presence. It's essential to me to do anything and everything and everything I can. So sign the virtual, sign the petitions online, go around door to door with petitions, uh, show up physically at long-term care, retirement homes, hospitals, facilities that are warehousing facilities, both profit, both nonprofit, based on that warrant, the truth to be spoken. You know, out of 637 homes of long-term care, 85% is horror shows. So I don't need to be on site in front of a home where there's no issues. What I need to do is be with a group that is supportive, mind-like, not afraid, willing to get a ticket, and being peaceful, we're not there to swing at an officer. We're not there to disrespect the law. We're there to quote Doug Ford saying, for only for essential reasons are you to go out. Well, you know what? To be in the light and the truth, it is essential that I show up there opposed to Tim Hortons and that I bring the awareness, the knowledge, and the education to the citizens saying we are accountable. It's, you can... Point the finger at the Doug Fords, the Harrises, the Mary Lee Fullertons. But when you look at the bigger picture and you look at the history, we will always be shaming and blaming and pointing fingers. Where the challenge comes in is for us to come together as people and challenge those who are in the power, in the position to advocate for the change that will only come through the truth and will only come through the continuous action that we can never stop. Because you write an MP today and you don't hear, that doesn't mean you take that MP off your list. That means you just gather more names, you get up every day, and that letter that you sent out one year ago, that you look down and you say, okay, I've sent it out 367 times. And when you post it on the computer, you're not posting it to deter people. You're posting it to say, that if you want something bad enough, you will keep swinging. You will pace yourself and you will hit send. I get up every day and I hit the same letter that I wrote a year ago. And I just keep adding to it. I've added the press, I've added the media, I've added people globally all over the place. And that's even how you and I have been able to be connected from the universe going near and far. We are on the same lifeline 
And we need to be on the lifeline for those who believe that lives are important to be standing and fighting for the change. Well, thank you so much for saying all of that. That is uh, right in the same theme to, uh, to stand up and to appear and to know and to keep talking the truth. That is uh, definitely the huge protector. So when is the, um, the next protest that you're having for Stop the Genocide? Are you doing this throughout the, the, the month of March? No, this is an ongoing. Yeah. Okay. This is a weekly. Uh, this is weekly when the lockdowns happened, and the group of us that were out there prior to, uh, I will say, majority of them went to the virtuals, which is fine. Like I said, totally respectful. Part of that group, uh, you know, I can do the virtual, but I can also do the physical. It's like nurturing the garden. You don't just stop at one vegetable. You keep on going. And I, I paint pictures a lot sometimes opposed to, you know, with the vocabulary I use to give people who are visual to accommodate the various aspects of life. Some people are visual, some people are academic. So it's showing up weekly and it's deciding sometimes there's double hitters. It's also to show the world that it, there is nothing stopping us. The winds, the weather, the roads, the snow, that this isn't something that you say, oh, well, we'll wait for the warmer weather, you know, or it's raining. Well, that's why we have umbrellas. Um, you know, safety, health, and well-being, absolutely. We would never compromise anybody's safety. And fortunately, I will say Creator has been on our side uh, as far as the weather has gone. Yes, it's been cold, but that means you dress in extra layers. Um, and we go out weekly and sometimes more. So it depends on the weather. There's women coming from Niagara Falls, Hamilton, Etobicoke, Toronto, myself out in Newcastle. And we're driving anywhere from an hour up to three, four hours. So taking the winter into consideration and the lockdown that, you know, there's no washrooms for us. There's no motels that we can rent and, you know, continue uh, like going out to Ottawa, there's no place for us to stay. So taking into consideration that people are driving from various distances, then we need to take that into account. So we continue uh, regularly. And so far, it's um, been on Saturdays yeah. to accommodate no, one of the uh, workers who's come out of retirement. And in order to hear her acknowledge her desire and her spirit to want to fight then with the other six of us retired then we can accommodate her so that we become seven or we become eight we become nine it's meeting no. everybody's needs no perfect because i know that you have been uh whether it's northern ontario mm -hmm. southern ontario you've been around the province a lot so that's great and the other initiative that you're working on is with the national standards for long-term care are you working with the british columbia group to initiate that as well or well what i can say is i'm in support of and i guess in the sense of working with by supporting and saying, how can I help? What can I do? Here's my thoughts. I don't actually technically need to be called a member of their group. By participation, that's the activation I talk about in putting it out there, whether or not they okay. implement it or add it to what they're writing. Perfect. You know, I, I am witnessing some division amongst groups where sadly, you know, I find that more destructive to the greater good 
but without judgment, you know, people need to do what they need to do. So I'm aligned with groups that are receptive, that are um, supportive. The, you know, the other mantra is there is no, there is no I in team, you know, there is no me in we. So I'm with various groups like SSAO, which is another advocacy group that has their website. It's all about knowledge, facts, history, and research. And what drew me to them and part of what with them recruiting me was going, I need action. I need something to do more than what I'm doing. I need to find others that want to be doing things. So I got a call saying, I saw an email or a Facebook posting going, we have flyers we want delivered. So I contacted um, the individual and said, hey, I'm interested. But before I just agree to jump on anybody's bandwagon, I need to know that we're in line with the objective goal and that I support um, what I'm about to promote and that what I'm about to put the hours into. So she sent me 500 flyers, told me what it was she was looking for. And I took them, jumped in my car, left town and went door to door to door to door. And then since then, became recruited as a core member of the SSAO. Myself and another individual came together last year called Hands of Hope. Yes. With two other individuals. And we have been developing, we have been growing, we have been nurturing. Um, we bring various guest speakers on on Tuesday night that bring knowledge, education, awareness. It's become a also like a supportive group where we all have the commonality in the grief and the loss. We have some that just sit and listen who are feeling supported and loved because they're, they're not alone. Even though you're not in their living room, it's been a lifeline to people. We have the Warrior Advocacy Crusade, which is why I originated it last year was to become an additional lifeline, the umbilical cord using the dream catcher, which is my culture, that we are all connected near or far, no borders, no barriers, no politics. No, that's no, that's great. And that's what's needed. And your other initiative that you have going on is the letter writing campaign to the federal members of parliament. Can yes. you just give a little bit more about as to why you initiated and why you think it's important to send these letters to the members of um, the federal parliament? Again, with all the bills and all the petitions that are being created, it's basically taking the hamster wheel that's already been created in our legislation and our constitution and our rights to say, hey, we know our rights. We are advocating for our rights. We are standing up and being the voices for those who may have a voice but be afraid to use it, for those who have a voice and may not know how to use it, for those who may not have a voice that need us to be the voices of the people as a collective to advocate for the change as well as the enforcement of the laws to be adhered to. It's calling out those who are, are basically giving license to kill. Well, that is criminal. When it comes to failure to provide the basic necessities of life, that is not me calling anybody a murderer. That is me not that I am not slandering anybody. I am stating a law in this country that goes to neglect and abuse that is connected to the government who is protecting 
the corporations, the police who are protecting the corporations, the ministry who is protecting the corporations, the commission, all these positions that are being created to gather information, gather knowledge, write reports, get facts. They have decades of that already. So that to me is misallocating the funds. It's abusing our tax dollars, which calls for us to have to come up with petitions day in and day out as reminders to what the laws of this country are that are not being enforced. Thank you for that. So, and how is that now going with the letters that you've reached out to the members of parliament? Well, everything we tend to be putting forward seems to be being fast-tracked by the government, which again goes to facts of history and knowledge that although back to the state of emergency, they call it and we're addressing it and we're identifying it based on the constitution and the laws, they're fast-tracking it by dismissing it uh, putting it underground while they turn around and make other bills more relevant to knock down the Essential Caregiver Act, to, you know, the fast tracking of the bill is to be read on Tuesday, but they fast track it through on the Monday. Well, we already know what they're going to do, and we're already down there protesting, knowing that they've told the public it's going to be on a Tuesday, but conveniently they came up with the extra five minutes in legislation being so busy to quickly shoot it down, dismiss it, sweep it under the carpet, and yet break another law. And this would be the on the provincial level more so you're provincial. talking to, right? Yeah, perfect. But, yeah. but it's also not just provincial. I mean, something I, I continually say is this is not just a provincial issue. This is federal. When you have the federal government that allocates fund provincially, and there's no accountability from the federal end that's paying attention to the provincial end, and you call out the federal end to say, hey, before you go handing money out to them, do you not think it would be a wise idea to actually make sure that the reason you're allocating it is actually how the funds are actually being used instead of misappropriated and used elsewhere? And that's unacceptable. That just goes to show it's federal and provincial. So when I hear people that are strictly on provincial, it's an opportunity to educate, to paint the bigger picture saying, the money is coming from the federal. That's and true. it's not being accounted for. Therefore, the federal becomes just as guilty and responsible for misallocating the funds as the provincial, with their bottom line being no accountability, which goes to the history and the decades not particularly to the issue of COVID. I agree, I agree. And right now, talking provincially, right now, in the, especially in the Ontario government, we have you know Bill 13, which is the Time to Care Act and Bill 203, um, which is the Essential Caregiver Act. And you are definitely in support of this. Um, and I'm sure your membership has told you in terms of you know, what these bills would probably, you know, would do um, once they are, um, are passed. Uh, can you just speak to why you're in support of these uh, two bills in particular? Well, first of all, the Essential Caregiver Act, it's essential that family be with family. The isolation is killing people, the progressiveness of illnesses, the activation, stimulation, motivation has been compromised, where people 
without the activation, stimulation, motivation, without the time for the workers to have that extra time to hydrate people. Maybe it takes grandma or grandpa longer to eat. They don't have the time. It's not realistic, which goes to them being set up. It's essential that the families be with their loved ones and that we not be shut out, that we not be threatened with no trespass orders, that we not be intimidated, harassed, and bullied. With the COVID being the grounds and the rationale to all the behavior that is compromising thousands and thousands of lives that go far beyond long-term care deaths that have seeped into the households of families, doctors, nurses, people committing suicide that are not being addressed in the news, that are not being acknowledged, that I can probably safely guarantee, assure people is exceeded 4,000 lives in long-term care, but that is not hitting the news. Therefore, when the news goes off of the long-term care, the vaccination has worked and there's no COVID in the house, there is still the underlining issue of the neglect and the abuse. We just don't know how many are going out the doors right now, but I can guarantee that there are lives being lost because of the history that is happening. That a time to care, Bill 13, yet again, basically all the questions come together in the need of it being essential that the time to care is now. It's not two days later. It, you know, yesterday is gone. Tomorrow's not here. The Time to Care Act for people is in the present, is in the moment. It's not an hour from now. It's immediacy. It goes to the state of emergency that we need to act. And the time is now. And we cannot stop with these petitions. We cannot stop with the online virtuals. We cannot stop with the active protest. We cannot stop calling the police every day, calling the ministry every day, emailing them every day, snail mail, emails, any way, every way showing up on doorsteps, advocating, educating, promoting, bringing awareness and continuing to act. And that's with all the bills. That's there's so many bills that I have trouble at time keeping track of the numbers unless I know there's a deadline that we have so many days to get this into legislation. You know, there's so many petitions out there and you learn that not all petitions created even make it there. It's learning the legalities of what ones are actively going to make it to legislation. How do we get them endorsed? How do we call out people when I can't get your signature over a virtual. I need a signature for it to be officially endorsed. So how in a lockdown, what corner can I meet you on? Well, if I can go to the grocery store and you can go to the grocery store as an MPP, not you, but you know, at the expression, then I tell you what, I'll meet you at a grocery store on your shopping day and I'll stay six feet away. I will have a mask. We will be following the directive of the government and you can endorse this petition. If you're going to stand out there and advocate that you care and you're protecting your communities, then guess what? You are going to have to step out of your box, not worry about your voters 
and realize that there's a bigger picture to just a city block and your area that you advocate. If you're a genuine, pure advocate, you will take that step. If Doug Ford can go out of his house to go to a hundredth birthday party, go to his cottage, do all of he, all his poster appearances, show up at a long-term care last month with a meal for a photo op to say, oh, I care. Well, he's dictating to Ontario, the lockdowns, stay in, don't go out. Well, you know what? How essential was it for a photo op? It's That's hypocritical, right. it's contradictory, it's demeaning, it's demoralizing, it's dismissive, and it's destructive. Agreed. And that goes it, for all of them. That mm -hmm. goes for all of them. This isn't me shaming and blaming and targeting a particular. This will be historical regardless of who's in power. Power, politics, money, and greed. Very true. And now going on to Vula's Law, uh, and that's the law in terms of protecting family members who advocate for loved ones in long-term care. So, I mean, I'm sure your members have, um, you know, have talked about, you know, them being banned, them using the trespassing law in order for them not to come back because the facility doesn't want to, you know, deal with that particular family member in terms of the issues that uh, bring up. Can you speak to, to that as to what you guys are, are I can. doing? I can. You know, personally, and I'm not alone in this, it's an abuse of power. It's, a, you know, a form of intimidation, harassment, and bullying. Um, as far, and Maria Sardellas, she has become a personal friend of mine. And again, you know, if it wasn't for technology, I likely wouldn't know Maria. I wouldn't necessarily know Maria's story. I'm not a person to watch the news or read the paper. There's enough horror going on in the world that I hear it live. I hear it unedited. I hear it uncropped. And Maria and I connected over a year ago. And with the story of what's happening to her mother is people do not necessarily understand the severity of the impact that this is going to have on Canada and Ontario should this home successfully be able to achieve a $42 million lawsuit against her that was based on the premises of defamation of character and serving a no trespass order that kept her away from her mother who is in her late nineties. That again, goes back to the isolation, the detriment that is not in the best interest of her mother and goes to the credibility of Maria Sardellis standing up for truth well in her mother's living. And I genuinely believe that her mother is in total support of this. And that is the sacrificial aspects of they are connected as one mother and daughter as Vula's petition is going through. And we are calling out for signatures with thousands and thousands and thousands of people on the computer even in the obstacle of the, the ban of being near people. I mean, I have, I have it everywhere I go. I carry it, whether it's at a grocery store, uh, it doesn't matter where I go. I carry the hard copies as well because technology will also allow for things to be lost where covering my bases is going, I may be doing the same job twice, but it's two different jobs. So therefore, in my experience of my advocacy, um, being a lifetime advocate, 
it's covering the multitude of bases and educating people as to some of the challenges or the obstacles and how they can nurture an aspect more. And it really needs to, with the no trespass orders, she's not the only one. It's happening with, it happened with another member that was on our group where she took the constitutional law, she had the papers, she had a video, video camera and she had her husband and they videoed it. Now, it wasn't, I often say it's not about the outcome as it is about the action. She got as far as the elevator and a security guard stood in front of her. Now we know that we can't put our hands on anybody of authority because they will be very quick to charge us with assault. The police would arrive in 20 seconds to charge us. So it's the effort, it's the attempt, it's the continuous strive to stand in the truth and bring this stuff forefront. And we will keep on writing the petitions. We will keep on getting it out there. We will keep riding off the laws of the country. And we will do the anythings and everythings that we can with all of them. We will be calling people out for accountability, you know, with Great Cliff that took the handles off the door. There's another group of us that are writing letters saying, hey, great, there's an investigation going on. We're citizens. Where is Where are we in that? Why has there been no consequences? Why was there no fines laid? I mean, if I broke the law by speeding, I'd get a ticket immediately, not a month or two months or three months down the road. We have the facts. Yeah, absolutely. We do. And that's just, uh, you know, it's, you know, you, you said what you said, but it was just very heartbreaking to hear that. And, and I know that it happens, you know, but it's just to, that type of devastation, especially financially, and for someone to be hit with such a lawsuit, I can't imagine, you know, what she's going through uh, with that as well, because it's on, that's on a completely different level. And the the one thing I wanted to to speak to, I know you have a protest coming up on March, um, March the 3rd, and this is going to be aired on March the 11th. So if you can just speak to the, this protest coming up, and um, if you're going to be doing anything else, um, after that, uh, just to speak to that. The protests will continue on a weekly base and I suspect as the weather gets better and as well, you know, once things start opening up, we wanted to go to Barrie, but that would be like a five and a half hour drive for the other women. And we had looked at doing a back to back, but when you can't rent a room, so they will be no doubt increasing. Um, right now they are, hap they, they are happening uh, weekly. And we're doing one or two, sometimes three, depending on uh, who's warranting it. And it's becoming much more difficult now with long-term care and the warehousing facilities not being in the light with the emphasis so much on the virus, the variant and the vaccination that the homes still need us. But when the ministry hasn't done their job and you go into the Ministry of Health Inspectors reports and you see that they haven't done their job and there's no report, then the research for us is in locating and connecting with family members, staff members, those willing to speak with us publicly and or privately, assuring their confidentiality, you know, because there has been some issues around confidentiality being breached, which has put people who were supportive wanting to fight out there but when they got betrayed by those 
that call themselves advocate for personal means and personal gains, sadly, it's put some people back underground. So the protests will continue on a weekly basis. I'd just like to go back just for one moment back to the no trespass order. Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. Which is extremely relevant to, it's not only just a no trespass order that's happening, it's evictions. It's evictions to the residents that fall under different laws. You've got the Schraw law, you've got the Landlord and Tenancy Act, and then you have all this stuff that I'm, you know, learning and growing every single day going what do you mean they can evict them for they the, the, the resident didn't do anything because the daughter spoke up then you can evict that woman and that they can just turn around and take the truth turn it into falsified information that hits the world by saying defamation of character they are manipulating their powers they're intimidating people. And I will share personally, personal experience that with our aunt, when we moved her into her retirement home last year, uh, my aunt is a very private woman. She's not interested in going down to the cafeteria for meals. That the home called us going, oh, she's high maintenance. She's too high maintenance. So we're going to throw an extra $2,000 on the bill. We've never done this before. She's going to be the first. Sadly, you know, my family didn't know any better. And in the midst of a crisis, when you've got a home saying, well, you need to get her out of here. Where do you put a woman who's cognitive, alert, aware, responsive with just mobility issues when she needed assisted living and the retirement home intimidates the family that basically you call an ambulance for a woman who is not sick and she becomes warehoused in a hospital where they drug her. And they put her on a wait list for LTC where she is dead in less than six weeks by neglect and abuse. So to the VULAs, no trespass order, people need to understand this isn't just about a no trespass order. It is, there is so much more within that around the impact that it's having on the residents, having on the families, families and the threats. And I will just tell you one quick story based on our protests last week that I have a letter here. Uh, we went to a place called Arthur yes. and two residents came out and joined us in our protest and thought we were God sent angels going, oh my gosh, somebody's here. They are acknowledging us. They're seeing us. They're, the home is breaking all these rules. They won't let us out. Well, they just gave them a letter yesterday stating that they can go to a pharmacy. They're in a red zone. They can go to a pharmacy and pick up their medications they must have proof if they've gone anywhere else. So these are adults that are in, she's in the retirement home aspect, which is also a long-term care slash retirement. So in order to check the credibility, I had her take a picture and send me a copy of the letter because I need to make sure to my credibility that what I'm out there saying is the truth. And it is threatening them that they will call the police on them if they leave the property unless they can prove that they're gone to shoppers, drug mart, returning with medications, there's your proof. These are adults that are being treated like children. And she's going sparky, like I'm going stir crazy. I can go to shoppers and get my medication, but they've threatened to call the police. And now they're threatening to evict me. 
because I'm speaking out and I'm speaking up and I showed up at the protest is they're looking for grounds to 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 throw me out that's terrible. so I'm trying to go back to see her but because I'm of no relation they're using that where I'm not afraid go ahead and give me a no trespass order it will give me more education to prove what is happening in the world that is also underground and not hitting the newspaper every day for every person that this is happening to. And then we get the gag orders that when we put them on, you know, we're threatened with lawsuits. So nine out of 10 will not put it on and tell you what's happening because they don't want to risk losing their households or their incomes or their jobs. Exactly. Cause that's putting them in a completely different, uh, kettle of fish so to speak oh. uh, as to as to where they are oh, and it's horrendous yeah and it, can you speak to I guess with the support that you're providing to your membership um, in terms of how you support them in terms of with all this advocacy I support them in the sense of hearing them listening to them empathetic talking as a as a helper uh, my profession has always been as a, a helper in the helping field. The only reason I ever went to school to actually get a title was because of the law that was changing that said if you worked in the helping field that you needed to be registered or you needed to be licensed. So the thought was, you know, if I ever decided to leave my job in the helping field, what I'm hearing in the world is now they want uh, credentials, that you're certified, that you're so I went back to school and became a counselor therapist. Um, and my business card says AWOL on it. And most people think AWOL, they think military and they think, you know, they've flown the coop. AWOL for me is all walks of life. That's the vulnerable. But I, I yeah, I, I wanted to touch on that. So it's, it's important that we hear one another. It's important that we're open-minded, that we're willing to learn and grow and acknowledge being in the moment, um, being willing that there, we may be a group, but we're, we're but a seed on planet earth and that there's a whole garden out there to connect with. And that it's not about a my way or a highway. It's about an open public forum that allows for people to come together that have the commonalities, share, expand, grow. As I mentioned, you know, being involved in so many various groups, I don't need to necessarily be an administrator or, you know, I can write letters with or without being a group. It's a way to utilize skills, talents, and abilities. And it's been beautiful. One of our protesters, I'll just share briefly, showed up with a sign, quiet as a mouse, but solid, held that sign, and I talked to her, I acknowledged her. I thanked her for being there. The following week, the sign came down. She showed her face a little bit. She was talking a little bit. And I handed her the microphone. She's like, oh, no, no, no. The following week, she was like loud and proud. And that little mouse was growing into a roar. And then the fourth week, I said to her, how would you feel about doing an interview? I don't need to be doing all the interviews until people are comfortable. I have no problem doing them, but it's not about Hollywood fame or fortune for me. It's about encompassing 
the unification of people as a whole and empowering people to their skills, talents, and abilities, as well as identifying that, hey, if you're not comfortable, nobody's going to put you in the position to tell you, you either have to get on the mic or get out of this group. This is about being who you are, being real, and being nurtured within people who can identify. We've all got the different talents, abilities, and skills. This isn't about me being a therapist. This is about me being human and about the other members, the other individuals being a part of a collective fight that is going on in this country and globally. No, that's great. Thank you for saying that. And just to wrap it up, um, is there anything else that we didn't touch upon today that you wanted to, to bring forth? A little bit of back on the national standards yes. being written um, amongst the various groups that I partake in, the, you know, even amongst us and our protesting group. It, you know, when it first originated, it was a group of people saying, okay, Sparky, tell me when, where, what day and what time and I'll be there. Well, mentioning how people are growing, going, well, I want to do more. And you go, hey, I got a Tuesday night meeting when we're called the Hands of Hope. You might be interested in joining and coming aboard there. So how it's coming together and it's growing and, you know, being able to say, hey, I've got a thousand things on my list and my list is never ending. And as long as it's never ending, I know I'm living and I'm busy and I'm doing what I'm called to do is being able to say, hey, uh, one of the gentlemen from another group, he had a letter. I wanted to hear him. He's joined, he's a 91-year-old who came out to our protest last week. And he's joined our Hands of Hands of Hope group. And he's written letters. And he said, hey, I'm too well-known to be able to put this out there. Do you think that you guys could put it out there? And in identifying that there are writers amongst the many that I've met, and within the protesters group, I was able to say to one of the women, would you have time to take this letter? I've, I've said to the man, I hear him. I acknowledge you. Uh, I'm not able to, but are you okay with me passing it on to another person? So within 48 hours, we've got the letter done and ready to go. And then I can say to this gentleman, there you go, my dear. It is out there, it is up there, and we put it on our list to follow up on it. And he feels heard, acknowledged, supported. And it's it's about hearing the everybody's. You know, as long as I will not join a group that wants me to take a machine gun and go down and hurt anybody. I will not join a, a group that is malice, that is, in my view, harmful and not seeing the picture of the greater good. I will stand to walk in love empowerment, encouragement. I'm without prejudice. I'm nonpartisan. And I am not interested in what I call the peeing matches between people. I will sit down with anybody and everybody respectfully and have conversations. But I will not get into a stance of a my way or a highway because we are all unique and individuals with their own ideas and platforms. So be it signing the paper for four hours extra care in 2025, we need immediacy now, but that doesn't mean I don't sign that paper. I personally am for alternative care, but that doesn't mean that I'm not gonna sign for the army to go in there today because we have a crisis. This is about not about me, this is about we. And as I said before, there is no I in team. 
So coming together, mine like the Canadian Health Act, you know, when we fought for it back in the 80s and we got it, what happened, just painting that picture, is we got it, it looked good, it read well, majority dispensed and went, yay, we got it, fight's over. Problem was, it wasn't monitored. It was like, okay, we got it, success, home run, that's it, now on to the next. For me, staying in line and staying in tune and staying knowledgeable to it was going, nothing changed. Nothing changed other than a nice write-up that looks good, reads well, and that's what brings back the decades in the history of nothing has changed, even in the midst of COVID, other than it bringing light to people getting a virus that are already compromised, therefore, no doubt, and factually, would likely die because they're already compromised by dehydration, starvation, lack of motivation, stimulation, activation, family. I'm with a group in, in California, isolation kills. Isolation is killing people. That is not COVID in the means in the way that we understand it. Speaking to the father of whose son committed suicide. It wasn't the virus that took that child's life. It was the fact that he thought he did something wrong that he hung himself at 12 years old. The 39 year old at the home in St. Catharines asked to die not because he wanted to die, but he could not endure the conditions of the warehousing facilities that was horrifying. And when I think of his little girl being brought in to lay in that bed with him in his last moments of life and the family who's in Oshawa, believing that their son at 39 would not have asked to leave his seven or nine-year-old daughter it was the conditions that were horrifying that I believe mentally was taking a toll on this gentleman, that his sacrifice was to ask to die, that he felt forced to have to die, seeing the torture that was being imposed on him, on his family and on his child by the lockdowns, by the isolation, by the grief. And these are just to mention a couple. I mean, they're never ending and I can go on, you know, with hundreds and hundreds and thousands of stories that go beyond COVID that just simply go to the decades of the neglect and abuse and the fight that we have to continue with our petitions, with coming together, with signing things that are, are for the greater good, the health, the well-being, and the state of citizens as a whole, regardless of the age and sex, creed, religion, color, makes no difference. No, thank you for, for sharing and for bringing up some of those stories. And I'm glad that your group is, you know, advocating and providing support to, you know, your members. I will put all of your um, information in the show notes. So if there are if there is anyone that wants to, you know, be a part of your group, they can be, but I do want to take, you know, thank you so much, Sparky, for taking the time, um, for being, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles and speaking your truth um, and what your group is doing. So thank you so much. I wondered if I might add one last comment that sure. we didn't touch on, and that was alternative care, which is also part of advocacy, which is also part of what 
Uh, nine out of 10 so far, press-wise, media-wise, everybody has clipped. So going to the SSAO group that I'm also involved with, that's a particular belief that we have based on facts, history, and knowledge. And alternative care meaning that reallocation of funds is when there's $63,000 allocated per person in, in long-term care, that those funds get maybe reallocated to you to keep grandma home or grandpa home, that you have an option to be able to hire that. And if that's not possible, it's not possible for all people to have their loved ones at home. So when the conflicts begin on the computer going, well, take them home, take them home. That's not always feasibly possible. And people need to be respectful and tentative. And just because they did it doesn't mean that everybody else can or that it's the right way. So alternatively, and I figuratively say group home atmospheres where they're smaller, more intimate, homely, consistent staff, happy staff, happy residents, where it's not, okay, you go into this home and then you become palliative and you've got to be displaced yet again, is that homes that can encompass the needs of a person's life wherever they're at that are utilized with the staff that, as I said, does have the consistency, does have the staff, does have them working in one place instead of 10 different jobs for $12 an hour. And the essence of alternative care being spoken about, which majority of the computer talk and the advocacy isn't alternative, isn't identifying alternative. And that's what's bringing about some separation is the minority to the majority who is advocating for alternative care and the options to be able to keep you home or, or give you the choice to be able to keep you home if that's your wish, that's your desire and or go in a smaller group home atmosphere. So that's something that's essential that, you know, I put out every day in, in my hope, faith and prayers that more people will at least be willing to discuss it rather than just limited that, you know, give them more money that's going to fix it. No, it, it is coming. There is no enforcement. There are already laws in place. We don't need to recreate hamster wheels that have already been created. We need to call upon the accountability by outing anybody and everyone and going wherever it's warranted based on the facts, history and knowledge that can be credible, that can be authenticized, that this fight cannot end it cannot end and yeah. even if it ever were to end like when the health care act came in the fight doesn't end it just means that the eyes and the tunnel vision needs to stay alert and aware and oversee and not assume that because something has been written that it necessarily means it's active actively in place so alternative care is something that i i also do discuss no, that's great because I know the model that you just mentioned that happens in uh, for people that are special needs that they have that type of funding. So that framework is already there. It just now needs to be transferred mm -hmm. to long term care. So great that you mentioned that. So again, yes, thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank, thank you, you so for much. That extra time. Oh, no, not a problem. Not a problem at all. But I just want to say thank you again for coming on to the long term care chronicles and speaking your truth. Thank you so much. Well, it's been an honor and a privilege. And I thank you, Wendy. You're welcome. Okay.